Hello, everybody, and welcome to the official Quit Proof podcast. My name is Tom Quit Proof Jones, and I'm your host. Our goal with this podcast is to give you insights and inspiration on how you can have a happier, healthier, and more productive life. And most of all, not quit somewhere along the way. You can find us on YouTube at Quit Proof, Instagram at Quit Proof, the number one, Facebook, Tom Jones Quit Proof, and our website, www.quitproof.com. Welcome, everybody, to the official Quit Proof podcast and our season finale. Today, we have a very special guest, and I'm really excited to have him with us. His name is Dr. Doug Brackman. Doug, it's honestly, it's really great to have you on. I have your book right here with me, Driven. It's awesome. It helped me out tremendously, and I think it will help out so many people including people that are living with people that are driven. Well, I'm excited to be on with you, Tom. This is fantastic. Driven's talking to driven's is what my whole life is about. It's, it's amazing. So let's get some backstory on you. And then let's talk about for many people probably don't might not even know what driven is. Uh, and that's the thing that's really there's just so many great things about you in this book that I could just go on forever, but this is about, I want you to do the majority of the, the speaking here, but, but th- this book is just such a amazing tool. So what, what's your backstory, man? What, what was I appreciate that? that. So it's yeah. Psychologists get into psychology to figure out their own shit. So <laughs> that's what we do. Any any psychologist that tells you that's not true is lying. So what is driven is what I am. So at second grade, I started to realize pretty quickly that I was different than most. And sitting in my second grade class, not understanding why the rest of the class didn't understand how stupid school was. Like what a waste of time this this you know, training monkeys to be assembly line workers is. And it's just, I really didn't get it. And so why did everyone else seem that uh, seemed to not understand how stupid it was? So that began this quest for um, trying to fit in. And I pretty quickly realized that I wasn't going to. Um, but by the time I got to sixth grade, seventh grade, this not fitting in thing felt very much like, like a, like a monster living within me. So it really became a, a feeling like a shame you know, that I was broken, that there's something missing or wrong with me, that there was um, really, I was just different. You know, I could hide within the group and, and seem to fit into almost any group I went into, but I never felt like I was part of. And so first time, first time I tasted alcohol <clears throat> was literally, it was this, spring break of my sixth grade and i went down to mexico hanging out with a bunch of guys and drank sangria for the first time and it was just absolutely like magic to my it fixed every internal problem i thought i had so i was just like oh i was free from myself for the first time but by the time i was uh 18 years old seven years later i had discovered how you could ether base free base cocaine and I take a you know eight ball of coke and and put liquid ether on it, and that that turned immediately turned it into hydrochlorine, chlorine gas, 
you know, cocaine hydrochloride, you'd free the hydro part, turn it into water, and just and leave this perfect crystalline thing that you kept to smoke. And from the first time I smoked it to a locked psych ward was about four and a half months. So wow. it absolutely turned, it, it demonstrated to me what real addiction is, where it, I don't give a shit, you're not stopping. I mean, it, it is a true sense that this thing has me by the short hairs and I'm fucked. It's gonna run with me. And, you know, within 10 days of being in the psych ward, I pretty quickly realized a couple things. Um, a, first and foremost, I wasn't crazy because um, I saw real crazy people, like real batshit nutty schizophrenics and everything else. And then I went to, a, you know, an AA meeting and I went, oh, shit, that's what I am. And that was 37 years ago. So I've been, you know, in this realm of what the hell is wrong with me since. And so let's let me let me pause for a second because uh, I have a, a few questions just to expand on. So when you were younger in school and you obviously noticed that you were different than everybody else, did you do any contemplating on that? Or did you just like, hey, I'm different, that's weird. Were you trying to figure it out or did, were you just aware of it? Mostly aware of it. But, you know, as all little kids do, you, you want to fit in. You want to be part of the, you know, we're a tribal herding animal. We want to be part of the tribe. We want to be, you know, connected. And so that feeling like I wasn't connected was horrible. And so I did, you know, and perfectionism and trying on different identities, you know, being a punk rocker, being a preppy, being a jock, being this, being that. And it was, you know, chameleon into any group I wanted to, to be a part of. I could fit in, you know, at least look the part and sound the part and, and blend right in. But internally, my inner world felt like I wasn't part of it. How did your parents handle all that? How, what, was their, what was their take so on everything? The, the genetics of it all, and that's the interesting part, my dad hyper-driven himself. And so he desperately wanted us all to fit in. He desperately wanted us all to seem like we were, you know, good on the outside. And, you know, the family portraits and the, you know, the Christmas pictures and everything else, man, we looked great. But internally, you know, that inner world of just feeling like, you know, and it was hot potato of shame in the family. So it, who was the hero? You know, my older brother was perfect, straight A's. And I was, you know, going to London by chance when I was, 14 years old, and it was 1981, 1980, Sid Vicious had just died, and Piccadilly was completely full of punk rockers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was in Pasadena, California in 1980, and the punk rock scene was just exploding. So I went to 250 punk shows. <laughs> so I recoiled against, you know, my, my dad's need for us to fit in and, you know, Mohawk and three piercings to pierce my tit. And so that, that uh, you will see me thing, you know, you will pay attention to you, you know, I'm not going to be in your mold, but I will go the other way. And that was, so it, it, I recoiled against him. What was your mom like? A very sweet, very traumatized woman. And so she was, you know, just wanted to keep the peace. 
And so she would be very conflict avoidant. So my dad would, you know, push against us and my mom would uh, try to be invisible. That's kind of the way I saw it. Uh, and by the time I was 17, 16, 16, it really started to unravel. 17, I'd left the house. I ran, didn't run away from home. We came to a mutual agreement. It was better if I just wasn't there. So a lot of dysfunction inside the home. Tons of dysfunction. And then, then you started smoking cocaine and then ended up in the mental hospital a few months later. Yep. <laughs> okay, so I, I, so we're up to there. So then what happened? <laughs> so went to an AA meeting, pretty quickly adopted the label of alcoholic. Like, this is what I am. That makes sense. I'm not batshit crazy. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time I had an identity that seemed to fit. And I went into a 90 day rehab, um, became this shining superstar in there, you know, and, and very psychologically minded already to begin with. And, you know, by the time I was 60 days clean, I was, you know, counselor of the place and, and kind of falling into that model. Got out of there and got my first job delivering auto parts and kind of, you know, returned home and went to a shit ton of meetings and just adopted that life. Pretty quickly realized that um, I needed an education. And so I went back, I dropped out of high school at 16, went back on my GED and then rocketed through my undergrad as fast as I could. I hated school, but did I you, saw it as a means to an end. I had to get the boxes checked. Did, did you did you feel a sense of normality inside of AA with with a, with those folks that were I'm, I'm just making an assumption that you felt that they were much more like you than any other group that you kind of hung out with before within the culture of it it's um you know we have alcoholics and then you have normies and the normies are the non-alcoholics those that aren't like us and so it was very much about yeah this 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 tribe of you know misfit nation we really are but i did feel connected and feel part of very much part of um and then you know got out of went to pasadena city college and completed god i completed almost two and a half years of college in 18 months just go round to the bone workaholism as hard as i could work you know because i i hated it and wanted to get through it and then got into SC as a junior, um, finished my undergrad, and then went to San Diego for my graduate school. So take me through because I'm 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 incredibly interested in you uh, just in general, especially after reading your book. So what you just it you just felt like, hey, I got to get an education, or I mean, I'm just wondering how you how so, did you move to that? So. You want to hear it all. I was I was pre-med at USC. I wanted to I thought I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps and be a doctor, medical doctor. He's a neuro he's a ENT skull-based neurosurgeon. I mean, he's a hyper successful, six thousand publications, workaholic, really famous dude. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I was eating the hottest little chick you've ever met, and she was making me batshit crazy. And for the first time in my life, I walked into a psychologist's office with, with true humility. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing with this chick. I don't know if I really want to be a doctor. And 
by chance, the guy's name was Neil Clark Warren. And like 25 years later, I'm watching TV. It's like, holy shit, that's my first psychologist. The dude, he, he started eHarmony. Okay. Brilliant guy. Sold it for seven hundred yeah, million dollars. I thought I recognized that name. Okay. <laughs> so brilliant psychologist. But he 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 for the first time showed me the real power of insight. And you know, he he gave me this uh, homework assignment to return a videotape, blockbuster video. So he said, pick something in this world that you feel shitty about. You know, you're kicking ass in this area, this area, this area, but give me something that you're procrastinating on that you use to beat yourself up. And Blockbuster Video, back when we had to rent videos from the video store, <clears throat> this thing sitting on my coffee table for five days. And it's like, God damn, you know. And all the excuses in the world, kicking ass in school was actually doing fairly well in, in undergrad pre-med until I got to organic chemistry, which I despised it. And he simply said, well, between this Thursday and next Thursday, when you come back, return the video, but observe what your head is telling you. Watch your thoughts. And this was, you know, before mindfulness, before meditation, this was way, you know, 1989, 88. This was back in the day, back, you know, we didn't, no cell phones, still had, you know, yeah. Wall hanging phones, um, no internet. And so that experience literally, so I take the video, wedge it against my door. So the next time I walk out the door, I <laughs> had to take it with me. Promptly took it from my, you know, the front door, threw it on top of my stack of books, threw that in the front seat in my car. And every time I got in my car, as it sat there for four or five days, I would beat myself up like, oh, shit, I got to do that. But then I also heard in my head how I'd do it later. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. A lot of the stuff Whitproof is about it. this ability to actually see how I was sabotaging myself. The day before I was Wednesday evening, you know, I, I still hadn't returned the video. So I take this video and stick it in the middle of my steering wheel before I get out of my car. So I'm like, get in my fucking car on Thursday morning and God damn it, I'm going to return. I'm not going back into Neil's office without returning this thing. And clear as a bell that next morning when I got in my car, it's like, oh shit, still running late like I always do. But I had to return this video. I had to follow through listening to my voice in my head if you miss the next light it is god's will that you don't return this video <laughs> like a magical kind of thinking starts and it's like holy crap but for the first time in my life i really am 20 21 years old watching the thoughts in my head try to get me to quit try to keep you know sabotage me pulling blockbuster video parking lot step out of the car, put this thing in the slot. And for the first time in my life, I laughed at this voice. Because what did the voice say? Look how hard it is for you just to return a video. You're never going to amount to shit. Oh, wow. Limiting. And oh, so wow. it was that, that moment, of, but I laughed for the first time in my life. At what ridiculous, this thing in my head is not my friend. Like, what the hell? More importantly, I saw something in the outer world that actually was 
okay, good. Being morphed, bent, twisted, and turned to fit this inner concept of what I think I am. And it was like a light bulb beyond light bulbs went off. And within a week, at the same time, I was actually in Psych 100 for the first time and taking, you know, elective psychology. And we had Phil Zimbardo as a guest lecturer. He did the Stanford prison studies about how to morph people into, you know, you put them in a skull cap or you put them in a prison uniform and you turn people into assholes. I mean, it was like, what the hell? So I'm all lit up there and two thirds of the entire Psych 100 class was women and just hot, these little hot SC chicks. And I was like, all right, I'm changing. I came out of that, <laughs> I'm serious. I changed my major into psychology. More importantly, I said, I think I can really teach this shit. Like I okay. can do something really amazing with this. What was the appointment like when you went back after returning the video with laughter? Yeah, it, it was. It God, you can make me cry. It, it, for the first time in my life, I really felt a sense of freedom from Doug, and that sense of freedom that it, that holy crap, I can do anything, and that freedom from you know I'm not being limited or or you know what is stopping. And so it was that curiosity and mindfulness that that first time in my life, like I felt the real potential of what I can do. So that was a real empowerment moment where you started learning how to think about your thinking and you're like, holy shit, um, this is like powerful. Yeah. And you go in and you decide that you decide that you're going to switch your education to be a psychologist. And then how did it roll from there? All of a sudden, school became fun and interesting, something I could use. And that's something about driven people. If, if, you know, once we find an interest in something that lights our candle, we get dopamine from, we can hyper-focus on it. We, you know, we get obsessed. And I got obsessed. And what I was finding very quickly is most people who are psychologists are full of shit. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Why do you feel that is? Why don't they know shit? I'm very interested because I feel the same way. I've been to a yeah, lot because it, it's this goes into driven and what drivens are. And we as drivens have a very different brain structure. We, we have big picture thinking. We see the big picture naturally. Where people with a very strong left prefrontal, we'll get into that in a minute, I'm sure, but have a different brain structure. They live in a logical linear world. And so most psychologists, you know, coming from the, the driven model, they're not like us. They don't live in the same world we do. They don't they're living really out of the, see they're living that, out of the left hemisphere. Yeah. They, they live in this, they live, you know, they're, they're sheep. <laughs> they really are. And, you know, they like, oh, my God, don't you see how this applies is what I'd say to every one of these psychology studies. And they're like, no, what do you mean how it applies? And I, well, it connects to this area and this area. And, oh, my God, if you did it this way. And they would, how do you do that? How do you see the world in such a complex, you know, because driven, driven, the cons, you know, the, the construct comes from biology, cultural anthropology, psychology, Buddhism, Christianity. It, it's all of these different concepts coming together to make a, a deeper understanding of the human experience, where most psychologists are not wired like this. But, okay. you know, we try to explain it to a, a regular 
a normal person, a normie, they think we're tangential and all over the map where other drivens are like, yeah, I get it. Same thing I was experiencing in second grade. They don't get it. What is the it they don't get the bigger picture? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you go through school and you get your PhD and you become a doctor. Yeah. I, I wind up in, in San Diego, 1991, I started grad school. And again, that this is pre-internet. We had you just have to go to the library for stacks and you know Xeroxing, Xeroxing stacks and stacks and stacks of journal articles and reading. And 1991 is the same year that they started to crack the human genome, really getting into genetics for the first time. And Time magazine article, they found the alcoholism gene. And genetically, you know, they were just starting to see, wow, is it? There's something going on with these alcoholics with this type of wiring system that makes them different from others. And that was the first year I started grad school and it just opened up, you know, Pandora's box for understanding what the hell we are and why we are different. You know, one of the things that I really respect about you and I really respected when I read the book was how you intertwined science with psychology. I really, I really thought that was a, that to me was a really different slant on psychology and really, you know, kind of taking the whole of the human being, you know, uh, with genetics, with, you know, all of this science and then, and, and then plugging that into psychology and ending up, you know, like I told you, is like, I felt like I was just this ball of yarn that was just tangled up until I read your book and it really helped me untangle it. So, so take us through, okay. So you're, you're now a, a, a PhD and how did you, did you decide that you were going to pick this niche and go for it or how did that? <laughs> it's, yeah, I can go through that. It, it, the genetics that in 1991, the genetic that they had found was the deep dopamine receptor number two dash E1 allele gene. I talk a lot about that in Driven. So it's the boredom gene. And within three years, so the time I really got into my coursework and looking at this stuff, they were very quickly deducing that the dopamine, the dopamine, this DRD2, the boredom gene, wasn't only alcoholism. It was also top performers. It was entrepreneurs. It was professional athletes. It was, you know, eating disorders. It was all kinds of, but it helped explain from a genetic standpoint why I felt like I was something missing or wrong with me. And that's what I do in Driven. There's nothing missing or wrong with us, Tom. We're not broken. We're supposed to be the way we are. But and, that's, we, and that's really a lot of the beauty of the book, you know? And that's why I highly, highly recommend it to people because it, it really does, it, for me, I'll speak for myself, it, it made me feel like I wasn't weird or abnormal or, you know, what, it really does a great job of explaining it and making it feel like, hey, you're not, like you said earlier, you're not broken. Yeah, and that, that, that brokenness, you know, because if you understand what boredom, boredom is a sensation in the body that tells us there's something missing or wrong. And most people, you know, and so in Driven, it's the hunter-farmer theory. I steal that from Tom Hartman, but took it to a whole new level. Tom Hartman had a, he was a talk show host, 
and he had an ADD ADHD kid. And, you know, he was looking at, well, there must be a good scientific, genetic, cultural, cultural anthropology reason why, you know, these resilient genes keep coming up and coming up, coming up. And he, he talked about, you know, that as the world became a very sedentary, boring place because of the agricultural revolution, most people, I mean, 90, 95% of people adapted to a very safe, sedentary, boring world. And you, me, and those of us coming from our genetic or our, our brain structure, we do not adapt well to a safe, sedentary, boring world. We are wired for literally a traumatized filled world. I could have called it the traumatized brain personality type, you know, or even worse is the shame-based personality type that we feel this inner world that, that there is something missing or wrong with us. So that core of driven is really, there's nothing missing or wrong with you if you feel this way. It, you, it's a gift. You're not your feelings. Uh, right. You're not your feelings. But you go into a normal psychologist's office and that normie meaning they have a very dominant left prefrontal cortex. And you put us in a functional MRI, we have a hypofrontal cortex, little dots of energy all over the place where they have a nice ball of energy, but they also have a different identity. And, you know, you think about farmers or, you know, society as it came together in these massive groups of people, the identity shifted from Da Vinci's like you and I are, you know, where we're, everything and you know masters of most to very simple identities they became butchers and bakers and candlestick makers they became very simple accountants you know and they they it's my joke to both of us you know we are unemployable my friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean we truly are unemployable and yeah. most of my entrepreneurs will say the same thing yeah where you go into a normal psychologist's office we look crazy to them well, who are you? It's like, what the hell do you mean? Who? Like, I'm all wet. Like, it doesn't even make sense to us. Where for the normal brain type, it does. And so we, you mean this, you know, those with the that underlying feeling of boredom all the time, the most consistent thing in our world is feeling like we're not enough. And that's our identity. And that's how totally I wound great, up with yeah. Yeah, two PhDs and you wind up doing all the crazy shit you do. Because we're trying to feel get rid of this feeling that we're not enough. Has psychology started to expand and, and embrace this anomaly in psychology? The literature around, you know, where I'm grateful for and sad about, you know, the, the huge psychopharmaceutical industries attempt to eradicate ADD and ADHD. You know, they really, it's how do you make a, did like us fit into their mold or you give them meds, you do this, you do this, let's try to get rid of this thing. Mm -hmm. And that has taken over. So, you know, are they embracing it? And it, it's, you know, I, I don't want to go off a tangent about what evil fucks big pharma is, but they are evil fucks and they really are. So, but we still scare the crap out of most normal psychologists. And okay. they don't understand us, you know, and they don't get us. 
So what what triggers you to write a book? I am trying to break my brand from from being a psychologist because most of my entrepreneurs, most of the people like you won't, you know, all my people that I wanted to work with don't believe in psychology. They don't like psychologists because we're, you know, we're soft, we're hippie. I'm going to ask you about your feelings and that bullshit. Um, I very quickly realizing that I'm not a normal psychologist. So trying to rebrand myself and coming up with new ways to teach insight. And I meet up with, you know, I was doing Bujinkan, doing martial arts at the time. And my teacher, a guy named Randy Kelly, and, you know, he was a Navy SEAL sniper. And I'm saying, dude, what do you think about using, you know, sniping as a way of teaching insight and meditation? It's a very meditative thing to shoot long range. And I've been a long range competitive shooter for 20 years. He goes, that's a hell of an idea. And so we start going to the range together and start, you know, really working on this. How do we integrate meditation to long range shooting and come up with this model? And I start taking my entrepreneurs through it and like, wow, we by chance took a, a guy who runs a big mastermind through it and blew his mind, made him cry. And he gets to the end of it and he's waiting for the upsell. He's waiting for us to sell him the, you know, the next course or this. And, mm-hmm. Where's your book? I didn't even have a website at the time. (laughs) I'm hiding out in my office, you know, and not doing shit with this. And he he looks at me and goes, dude, what the hell are you doing? And so that was 2014, 2013, 10 years ago. And he pulled me, he he let me come teach meditation. Randy and I come teach meditation in his mastermind, started referring people to our meditation shoots. And in that mastermind, I met Tucker Max and Zach Warbrandt and these guys that were doing back then. It was called Book in the Box. And they're saying, dude, you got to write a book. Like, what the hell are you doing? And so I literally got drug out of my office into this world and wrote the book and, and the rest is history. I desperately want people to read the book, especially people that, you know, have this personality type or people that live with this personality type. Take us through the the shooting meditation kind of just broad brushstrokes. How I I'm I'm not going to spoil it, but you know it it really makes somebody become present. So explain that. So very simply, you know, I I talk a lot about how human beings work and and driven, and that we have you know the metaphor that we are very much like a Indian elephant. In our body with a whole bunch of monkeys up on top of this elephant trying to control it and you know my doctoral dissertation was about self-sabotage and why does january suck at the gym is because everybody's monkey mind has temporary control over the elephant and what happens in you know by february i did that slide not too long ago by february 14th 80 percent of people don't even remember their new year's resolutions wow and so that was my doctoral dissertation, like, what the hell is going on? Who's really in control of us? And so that's the classic question I always ask, you know, that's the Buddha question is, which are you? Where is Tom? Are you the monkeys or are you the elephant? Who's really in control of you? And it's a trick question. You know, the answer is obviously both and neither. And it's that neither thing that woke up observing me, not returning the video and struggling with the video. It's that third third component 
that is all power and change. And that, that's the one that doesn't quit. That's the one that's your, you know, and that's the joke I always say about, you know, we have a mind, a monkey mind, we have a body, we have this elephant, and then you have a soul. We're observing ego. There's anybody ever tells you they have actually have it figured out, run because it's a cult. <laughs> Nobody has this shit figured out. But you know, you and Goggins and all of that, it, it's your it's your soul that is getting you through all of these things. And you can observe the body, you can feel the body, you can hear the monkey mind chattering, but it's your spirit or soul that doesn't quit. The shooting was the best tool. And I built now, you know, ten years later, I've got I got a three seventy five Chi Tech, I got three hundred Norma Max, I got some big ass guns. Um, they shoot you literally. I'm doing it next week, and I, you know, the range I go to in Ohio has a target at two miles, thirty thirty three hundred yard. I mean, it's totally totally ridiculous, but it makes the mile target seem reasonable. <laughs> so, you know, sixteen hundred isn't that bad. But most importantly, you know, the tool of the gun is to observe how the elephant or your body will do something called a flinch or actually brace itself for the recoil. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it a hundred times in the day, there is no recoil in the present. There isn't. It's fascinating. So if you're anticipating the recoil, you're not present. And one of the things of being driven, the way our brain works is we have this thing called neuropeptide Y where we, we, drop into hyper-focus and where we can really hyper-focus and that gift of hyper-focus allows us to actually be completely present and the joke you know that i always say at the shooting retreat when you experience the mind the body and the soul three become one that is the ultimate flow state. And, you know, as in, I'm sure in the martial arts ring, you experience that many times where you're, you're completely present and, and at the same time anticipating the next moment as it's unfolding. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because when I'm asked in interviews, how you do it, how can you do it? I, I say I get into this flow state and just go. You know, it's like that moment where, where you're talking about where you're breathing, you're focused on the target, you're present, the trigger squeeze and, and everything where you're just in that flow state. Um, and you've been done a fantastic job of figuring it out and breaking it down and then being able to bring others into that into that world. And I'm, I'm sure that it's. I, highly results oriented where people just come out of there going, holy shit. And it, 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 the holy shit, and it's good news, bad news. The good news is, oh my God, I can do anything. The bad news is, oh my God, I can do anything. <laughs> so it, you run out of excuses very quickly. You see, and I teach that very directly, everything we do is sabotaged to some degree. A nicer way to say that is everything we do can be done better and mastery where you're in a constant state of improvement and you're constantly looking at the the misses just as much as the hits because it's the it's the learning and that is what i believe drivens are truly wired for is this you know martial arts concept of mastery 
where there is no finish line. We are wired for a constant state of better. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that you just said. And I want to key on that because I, I, as a pro fighting, I had 51 wins and I had four losses, but I learned more from those four losses than I won, than I learned from those 51 wins. So when you're talking about missing the target and, and so on, and really taking a chance and evaluating that and, and diving into it, I think that that's really worth keying on. And, and for Drivens to really truly embrace that it's not about the win. It's about building the process of winning ING. And, you know, it's quit proof. We're quitting is surrendering to you stop learning. And where it's like, I'm never going to stop learning. And that that's something is, you know, as a psychologist at 55 now, I've been doing this you know, 15 years, 20 years with Drivens. Um, I am in constantly in a state of being enthralled with more just learning more you know and as a dopamine deficient human being you know that's wired differently i have found you know i just love life because i'm in a constant state of learning and you're and you don't fear that you embrace it and you realize that that's the means to the way is yeah. that all that accurate exactly it's like holy shit i missed <laughs> you feel good about your misses it, it, it's like it, but why did I miss? What did, what part of the process could I improve to Im increase the likelihood that I will hit? Right. Same as when I lost my, why the hell did I lose? You know, and, and go start to break that apart. Uh, tell, tell everyone the difference in, because there's D2s and D4s. There's, uh, there's yeah, yeah. types of drivens. And I want you to, I want you to, because I've read your book twice. I mean, yeah, I'll probably it, read it, it a third time because it's just so, well done and again i beyond highly recommend it to people i appreciate that it's so add and adhd you know and they do differentiate that in the big book of crazy but adhd dopamine receptor number two the boredom is much more about the present moment where i need stimulation right now and that's the hyperactive where i am less hyperactive and i am much more classic add and very interesting set of genetics. They call it great. Um, National Geographic did a phenomenal expose on this dopamine receptor number four. And they called it the wandering gene. And all of the drivens that love, love to travel, love to be out in new environments. And, and the way I talk about it in driven is farmers are very easily satiated with the present, with just what they're doing with the routine. Where if hunters constantly felt like, yeah, this is good enough, we would never be able to get to new ground. And more importantly, the dopamine receptor number four is the FOMO gene, the fear of missing out gene. Oh, interesting. And it's, <laughs> it's we feel like there's more woolly mammoths over the next hill. Like the next win in the ring is going to be the one and maybe. And so we're constantly looking, we're chasing the shiny shit. And when we get close to the shiny shit, it loses its shine. So we jump to the next one and jump to the next one. But, you know, the, that's the good side of it. The bad side is, you know, where if you have the dopamine number two and it feels like there's something missing or wrong with me. 
the D4 can go into, I'm never going to be enough. No matter what I do, I'm never going to get to the finish line. And, and it, it can tear people up. Or worse, you you go chasing after something forever and you miss your whole life chasing something that you never get to. And, and another reason that I want to recommend Driven too is, is that I read in the book that driven people tend to, you know, have a higher rate of divorce and that kind of stuff. And I think it's <laughs> a lot of it is because of the, a, a lot of it, I, I feel that after reading the book twice, is a lot of it is, is that it's a misunderstanding by the other person. It, it, it's both. Yeah, we obviously for men that believe, you know, in shiny objects, the and you marry a woman, the shine loses it, and then you're chasing other shine. That's a bad thing. Women don't like that. Um, <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> and so it, it's, and, you know, the, the, the D4 is, oh, my God, it's going to be so great over there in the future. If you use that as a reference point, it makes the present moment seem less shiny or sucky. It, it, that's going to be great. Therefore, this must suck. And that is a lie people get into just because it's going to be better over there says nothing about how it actually is here. And so that insight around understanding that, you know, yes, she may be kinder, funner, sweeter, faster, but it doesn't mean my wife is not good now. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, we can, you know, with insight and with practice, you know, particularly the meditation component, the way I teach meditation is reality checking. You know, even it's how we feel about the world is irrelevant to how the world actually is. Well said. That is so true. And I and I love all the meditation practices in the book. And I encourage people again to get it for, for that too. There's just there's just so many jewels and, and pearls in that in that book. So now you're going to be writing another book. Can you tell us what that is? Kind of without. Yeah, so driven. It's simply driven is written to drivens. This one is written about drivens to a much broader audience. I hope, and more importantly, I think the the importance of drivens to the world. And, you know, the, the left prefrontal dominant people, as I affectionately call them farmers, or, you know, the next book title is, is Sheep, Wolves, and Shepherds. And, you know, as Drivens, we look at what's going on on the globe right now, and it's, it's why can't these people see how stupid and crazy they're being? That's a great question. Why can't they see it? And, and more importantly, it's the same thing in second grade. Why do I see it? Why do we see it? And, you know, I think that's a very important question. You know, as people that do see it, what is our responsibility that the, to those that can't? And, and to those that can't, because Driven is a really great manual for Drivens. And, I, and so what I think I hear you saying is, is that your next book is a manual to non-drivens. It's a, a manual to, <laughs> I'm hoping a bunch of non-drivens read it. Um, I'm not sure they'll really understand what it's like to be us. And I, I can't imagine what it's like to be them. 
I mean, people that people that wear their mask or, you know, screw you, I'm never wearing a mask, but don't question whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to wear a mask. You know, and you look at how Joe Rogan and all of the other Caribbeans in this world get attacked for just asking questions. Yeah. And, you know, I think as shepherds or wolves and you look at, you know, I wonder if Fauci really does know what the hell he's doing. I don't know. You know, I am a shepherd and I am a good one. And it's like, as driven we are, you know, we're human bullshit detectors. So we look at them as like bullshit. But most yeah, people but that, don't know he's full of shit. So this is yeah, an expose. Well, exactly. This is a look at, you know, are they scaring the sheep into compliance, which is a wolf, or are they actually trying to lead sheep towards greener pastures? And that's a shepherd. And I think we yeah, all can be totally interesting question because i i feel that a lot of these people are truly bought into their own bullshit for real yeah and they they believe that they are the messiah you know they they really believe that shit. and that that is what uh, i do that in this next book is is if you're constantly questioning am i really a wolf or a shepherd you have a chance of becoming a shepherd if you truly believe you're being a shepherd you're a wolf <laughs> it's like for real yeah because it's it's in that questioning that you know it's in your misses that you learn and, and so you humility can be a shepherd all day long and, and not even know or realize that you're a wolf whatsoever and that's terrifying and those that's well, the that's, terrifying part yeah because yeah, i think there's a lot of that going on i think there's well it's the old saying hitler had good intentions he did Oh yeah, you know? and it, it's doesn't it make him good. And even if Fauci or these, you know, these people are having good intentions, if you can't question it, if you can't question the outcomes, if you can't look at your misses, you it's bad. Yeah, what do they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really a look at you know, as those of us that have the capacity to be humble and question truth and question reality and you know not scare the sheep but really try to help the world in a different way i think we have a responsibility i think it's driven it's a it's a very important thing to make people you know just what you do with not quitting and you know really paddle boarding the way you paddleboard gets attention and then your message can be heard and i think that shepherding you know is what you're what you're doing yeah, and that's and I tell people that's why I do what I do is to get their attention. And when I have their attention, I can share with them what I'm doing. What's your take on what's going on in America right now? I mean, because it is a lot like you. It seems to be a lot like you said. It's like you can't even ask questions these days. If you do, it's like freaking you're totally attacked. Well, that that you know, toxic masculinity versus toxic femininity. This is, we're, we're seeing a, an abundance of toxic femininity, right? That's cancel culture, you know, and it, we're gonna silence them because they believe that us speaking is actually hurting people. Their intention is actually good. It was crazy. How they really believe that? Oh yeah. And oh yeah, they're sold. They bought the light side of the moon, the dark side of the moon, the five <laughs> resorts, all the adjacent planets, the atmosphere, the whole nine yards. 
But as, you know, as Christ said, you know, it's the scariest line in the freaking Bible is, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do, but they really don't know what they're doing. And so, you know, whether it's wear a mask or don't wear a mask, what other side you're on, if you're not questioning really, why am I doing and I do it and driven pretty well, you get to a point of really just asking yourself, what am I doing? Without the judgment, like, whoa, 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 like, slow down. What are you doing? What are we doing? And that middle ground, you know, is hopefully taking, you know, Joe Rogan says, you know, launch where you escape velocity, where your message can't be silenced anymore. And I think that's starting to happen. And the internet is, is changing it all. The internet is the opportunity for, it holds people accountable. And so you can't bullshit for very long anymore because the truth will come out. And right. so as a, as a species, I think it's a, we've never been here before. I think it's an amazing time to be alive. It's cool as shit, but it's also potentially really scary. If the people that are trying to silence those can't silence them, what do they do next? Right. How do they, what's the next level? Right. Look so like? It's a great time to be alive though. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of shit going on. That's for sure. It's exciting. Right. So you're going to be writing your next book. When does that, when do we look for that to come out? How do people, how do people find you and driven Dr. Brackman? So that is the only ask I ever, anyone listening to this, because I, I am a researcher at heart. I created a, a assessment that looks at the 10 different traits of being driven and, and looking at the different types of driven. One of the things that I didn't really realize when I wrote Driven is how much variance there is within the Drivens themselves. Interesting. And so I created a, everything for me is at IamDriven.com. It's just all one, you know, IamDriven.com. Please take the assessment on there. And it's a real assessment. I had it nationally normed, spent a bunch of money on it, spent a year working on it. Um, and I'm using that to talk about the different types of Driven in a new book. The new book should be, I'm shooting for the end of this year, prior to the elections next year is what I'm, what I'm hoping it's, I get some runway before, yeah, before that shit show starts. And then you're shooting retreats to people. Can they find out about the, those on the website? It's all, everything is, yeah, it's, yeah, just a drop down. And then I'm, I have COVID shut all that down. Thank God they're back up and running. I do a, a day and a half where you fly in one day and you fly out the next night. Um, Tennessee, Ohio, Georgia. I got another range in Georgia. Finding ranges that have a mile target is not easy. And but you can get people to hit that mile within a day. I, when I read, read your book, that was amazing. It's people that have a great shooting experience, hindrance like you can't believe. People who have never fired a gun are a hundred times more likely to hit all three at a thousand. And because you don't have the ego or the expectation, you just follow the process and you do. You know, don't anticipate the recoil and you squeeze the trigger and you read the wind right. You hit every time. Well, it can't be that easy. It is that easy. Amazing. And women. Yeah, women. That's the, I can take a, a brand new shooting female and she'll hit three. Expect to hit three for three at a thousand. First time shooting. Because she just I just followed the process and read the wind and saw the wind. And you. I just did what she said. Uh-huh. 
where guys we get we get very invested in the results and get our identity wrapped up in the all kinds of bullshit. That's very similar to teaching martial arts. It really is. Well, Dr. Brackman, it's been amazing having you on with us for our season finale. I truly enjoy it. I enjoy talking with you. Yeah, I was at dinner with your brother and the way that I got introduced to you is like, I said some stuff at dinner and he just looked at me. He's like, you got to meet my brother. Like you guys are two freaking peas in a pod. And I was like, okay, great. And so, yeah, it's been an amazing, uh, it's been an amazing ride since I've met you. Your book is just unreal and just such a blessing, especially to Drivens for sure. I appreciate that. And I, yeah, it's, you know, for shame-based people that have always felt broken or always felt like there's something wrong with them, there's not. You're supposed to be this way. It is a it is a massive gift. It really is. Where did you come up with the name Driven before we hop off? I, I wanted to ask you that. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's the elephant in the room, but still, I mean, it's a really so cool the guy one. who came to my first shooting retreat, Hebert, guy Clay Hebert came to my shooting retreat and said, you know, let's come up with a name for this, and he he titled it. And it's interesting, the next book I titled myself, but by accident, you know, the, the people at the back of the herd scaring the shit out of the sheep with a big stick, taking them to slaughter is called a, a driver or somebody who is driving the sheep, where a shepherd is in the front of the herd really leading the sheep. So it's a, it's a play on that too. And it, we are scary, but we don't have to. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for your time today and your insight and sharing your gift with us. It's It's been amazing. Um, once you write your next book, we'd love to have you on again and talk about that in detail, especially after I've had a chance to read it a couple of times. Yeah, so, I, I will. Yeah, I'll, I promise I will get you behind the gun. Make you cry. Cry <laughs> in joy and freedom. It's the first time a lot of my drivens feel absolutely free from self. It's beautiful. It's a very interesting experience. I look forward to that. I really do. And I highly recommend anybody uh, see, seek it out and go for it. Again, you can find us on YouTube at Quit Proof, Instagram, Quit Proof, the number one, Facebook, Tom Jones, Quit Proof, and our website, www.quitproof.com. If you like what you're hearing, then hit that subscribe button and recommend this to your friends.